It's a Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Thank you, Andrew, for being on Black White Mass Incarceration. So um, if you just want to give the audience a little introduction about yourself and what you do and how you became a part of podcasting. All right. Yeah. So my name is Andrew Dodge. I host Unforbidden Truth. It's a podcast in which I interview convicted murderers, survivors of violent crime, and professionals in the mental health and law enforcement fields. And how I got into it, long story short, my dad is a retired cop and a, a homicide detective, and my stepmother worked at a, worked as a, a 911 records department clerk and a dispatcher. So since I was super young, I was interested in true crime and horror and all that, and Everybody was growing up watching bananas and pajamas and all that. I was, you know, watching true crime and reading Helter Skelter as young as I could. Whenever I could read, I picked up true crime books and started getting fascinated with, you know, serial killers and mass murder and all that. And fast forward to 2010, I was 19, I want to say, and I wrote to a serial killer by the name of Philip Jablonski, who was my first serial killer that I visited, ironically enough. And he wrote me back. I started writing people like Charles Manson, Wayne Henley, um, Jack Spillman, so on and so forth. And the replies just kept coming in. And fast forward to 2018, I was part of another podcast, which is defunct now, which is called Criminal Perspective. And it was kind of the same concept, uh, just a little bit different. And here it is, 2023, and I'm uh, almost two and a half years in to Unforbidden Truth. Got a lot of subscribers too, so I guess a lot of people are interested in what makes a serial killer kill, as I call it. Right. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, people. I think true crime is is probably one of the most popular subjects out there. To be honest, you, you see true crime, you know, genres in bookstores, I guess movie stores if they have any left, and anywhere and everywhere people are, you know, like have their book up with their phone down so they they're not judged or whatever, listening to true crime or reading true crime. Yeah, and it's all over TV. Like, I mean, just about all of the TV stations have some type of true crime going on now. So it's a lot more prevalent than it was years ago. Let's go right into the first question. The first question I have for you is, out of the 100%, how many killers slash murderers said that the cause and effect of such adaptive behavior came from childhood trauma? So I'll start that. I'll start the answer off with saying that I'm not an expert. This is just my opinion more than anything. But you said when it comes to, like, childhood abuse. Yeah, like, what have they told you? Like, just by you talking to them and what what has been, what has led up to them committing those atrocious crimes? Like, what have they told you and shared with you? Well, it all depends on the offender, to be honest. But, like, let's say you take, like, a gangbanger who's in prison for drive-by shootings or killing five, six, seven people, you know, chances are nine times out of 10, their parents or somebody in their family was, you know, gangbanging in the streets and grew up that way. So they're going to grow up that way. Same with childhood abuse, not necessarily mean saying you like, if you're abused, you're going to become a murderer. But nine times out of 10, when, when somebody's abused horribly, they're going to either act out and you know, ways like such as, you know, maybe they're a kid, you know, acting out in school, you know, hitting people, you know, cussing people out, whatever, or just not acting, you know, right at home. Of course, when they become adults, you know, the the abused becomes the abuser. Sometimes not necessarily saying you're going to become like a child molester or rapist because you were abused when you were younger, but it certainly, you know, carries the trauma into adulthood. I've noticed even with some of these serial killers, like for instance, Otto Smith, um, he's the serial killer that I recently interviewed. He has two confirmed murders and he claims to have killed 22 people or something like that. And he's very open about his childhood abuse and how it just tore him, you know, limb to limb um, up until he was an adult. And he just was so explosive as an adult and just so violent and just so out of control. And he always says that if he had somebody there, you know, looking after him that wasn't abusing him when he was younger, he might have turned out you know, differently. And it's not to say, you know, again, like if you're abused, you're going to become a murderer or whatever, but 
I mean, sometimes you could become, you know, like violent or suicidal, you know, homicidal, all that. It just, and obviously mental health is big. Childhood abuse, developing PTSD and, you know, all that later on in life. And I think it's really about your mindset. Because like, as you said, like some people who experience trauma, like abuse from parents, don't, they don't go kill people. They kind of take that as a motivation not to be, you know, like their parents or the person that raised them. And then some just can't handle it. Like it just repeatedly plays in their mind over and over and over. And so for them to relieve the trauma or the anger or the stress, that's when they take it out on other people. So it's really about like your mind frame and where you are in in your trauma. You know what I mean? Because I've had childhood abuse and I have PTSD, but I haven't done anything violent. Like I don't even have a criminal past. So it just depends on how the person itself, I feel like, is handling it. Some people can handle it well and use it as a motivation to propel them in better situations, but a lot of people can't. Like, they just don't use that as motivation. It just tears them down so much that they're not able to function. So therefore, you have situations like these where people are mass murderers. Right. Or, or for instance, there's a, a transgender inmate that I just recently interviewed. She's a double murderer, and her first crime was super crazy so she stabbed her dad and then stabbed her dad's friend or something like that both of which were molesting her at a young age she gets life in prison for the first murder fast forward a few years after that stabs somebody on death row or stabs somebody in prison kills them ends up on death row and you know that crazy enough Otto Smith was in the courtroom when her dad was convicted you know decades ago and Otto Smith actually hooked me up with Victoria Drain, uh, the the double murderer in Ohio. And it's just a small world because you know, like Otto always says, you know, the the child the, the child abusers go to prison, but then you have these children that are broken in foster care or whatever, like probably not being looked after. And once they hit eighteen, it's like, oh, you know, see you later. Yeah. Go 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 on into the world with no experience and all this trauma and maybe PTSD and you know it's just, you're just a, a ticking time bomb at that point this is not necessarily talking violence you know but I mean a lot of the time childhood you know abuse victims end up taking their lives or other people's lives or what have you and it's just it's a never-ending cycle really it is and I've heard because my husband was in the foster care and so he ran away a lot because the parents that he that was fostering him he just didn't connect and a lot of times didn't feel wanted. And so he was pushed out at 18. Like he left. So he was pushed out actually at 17 and got emancipated. So he was on his own. So that's what prompted him to join a gang was because he didn't have any family support. And then, you know, just going from foster home to foster home, parent to parent, you know, it made him leave the foster home early. And so he was out there at 17 on his own with no family support. Um, and so from what he told me, it kind of turned him into like this animalistic mind that I have to survive for myself and myself only. And even though he hasn't committed anything heinous, like he has, you know, robberies and having a gun as a felon. And even what he's in there for now, he didn't do that. But it does turn you into that. But when he got there and he was in, you know, anytime in North Carolina, when you do a murder, you have to do two years automatic in closed custody. So when he got to close custody, it was just like this animalistic mind, you know, where it was, I got to survive. It's me and me only type of mind. So he wasn't empathetic to anybody else and what they were going through because of what he was forced to go through and the way he was forced to become a survivor. And a lot of times becoming a survivor makes you an animalistic person, which sometimes turns into a lot of violent things. So your environment has a lot to do. I don't think people understand generational trauma has a lot to do with why people are having issues, especially children, because I don't think people understand that when your parents are pregnant with you and they're going through a lot and they're stressed, that stress hormone is on the baby. So a lot of times the babies come out stressed and nervous system is messed up. And because we don't understand it, that translates. That's why a lot of children have, you know, behavioral problems at a very young age, like two and three. And, and so just being able to understand and do more better about the trauma that goes on in America. And so we had an event on Friday that was actually trauma-informed to start helping the new lawyers understand that this is not just a job. Like you are a lawyer and you're presenting somebody whose life is at stake. 
And so you need to start understanding the trauma that they've been through. Even the judges and the prosecutors need to understand that a lot of people are dealing with trauma. Like America is just a traumatized state. You know what I mean? Like it's just so much that always goes on. And so understanding why this crime was committed, not just say, hey, you're a bad person, you're evil. Trying to understand from a trauma-informed perspective than just a bias-informed perspective of why this person committed this crime. And this is why I'm advocating for this person, not to say they didn't do it, but to say they still deserve, you know, a decent sentence, not something that's life without parole or the death penalty. Because let's be honest, when people are on the death penalty, like they sit on the death penalty, they sit on the death penalty for 30 years. You know what I mean? Some sit on there and never, they die of natural causes because they're never executed. So really, what is the point of the death penalty? It's still not going to fix or stop what is going on. You're just incarcerating more people. You're not actually trying to put forth the effort to heal these people. That's why it needs to be a lot of restorative justice in the courtrooms. Right. And a lot of the time, the victim's families don't want the death penalty for the offender, but it's sadly, most of the time, not up to the victim's family, whether the person gets life in prison or the death penalty or what have you. Yeah, it's up to the state. Like, like the per, like the defendant harmed the state. You didn't harm the state. You harmed the victim that you're representing, but yet you let them have no say so in what's going on. And we actually have a lot of victims whose parents were murdered or family members were murdered. That's in the movement to say, "Hey, we don't want the death penalty." So I think humanizing their voices and also humanizing the people that have committed the crimes, humanizing them, and trying to just lead up to show why maybe they committed the crime and not. Just saying, oh, well, they're evil. Because I hear that a lot. Like, I watch true, true, true crime shows. and like, oh, well, they're just evil. And I'm like, I mean, that is a possibility, but something took them there. It's not like you just, you're born evil. You know what, you know what I mean? Like, it's a lot, a lot of people are taken there because of what they experienced in life. Going off of that, there's an expert in um, childhood abuse. His name is Jar- James Garbarino. I'm actually releasing an interview with him next week. He said something to the effect of, I hate when people say, People are evil. They're not evil. There's reasons for what people do. It's not necessarily an excuse, but let's say you're having a schizophrenic break and God is talking to you and you have to kill as many people as you can or you're going to go to hell or something. Like That's a reason that moment in time for that person to do what they're doing. It's Obviously, it's you know abnormal and it's not something that is justifiable, but in their mind, it's a reason as to what they're doing at that moment in time. And I don't necessarily believe people are evil, but I believe there's evil things that are done unto people that can make them quote unquote evil or bad people. Yeah, exactly. And and that's, that's the thing. Like we got to start understanding that people are just traumatized and there's generational trauma. And so it's not an excuse, but we still need to humanize what they've been through and not just that's always swept up under the rug. You know what I mean? So my next question is, were they being treated for mental health disorders during this childhood trauma or they're not even being treated at all? Um, I can honestly only think of a handful of prisoners that I've interviewed that were treated as children. The most that sticks out to me is Nico Jenkins. I'm sure you're familiar with that case. He's a spree killer in Nebraska. And since he was like eight years old or something like that, he was diagnosed. I don't know if he was diagnosed as schizophrenic at the time, but I know he had a really hard childhood when it came to mental health and everything that that came with that as for others i can't really think of any other people that i've interviewed necessarily but i'm sure that there's a lot out there that you know started in childhood i just i just can't think of anybody else off the top of my head to be honest i mean well to be honest mental health in america is not its best you know what i mean like it's it's really not its best at all because i have mental health issues and just what I have experienced in the mental health field has, to me, has not been helpful. Like, I feel like I've helped my own self by doing just like meditating and exercising and just doing stuff that I've come up with that has helped me. But as far as the things that they told me to do, like going to outpatient therapy, I mean, that helps for a little bit of time or coping skills, or they do, they, they give you behavioral therapy training all of that, like it, it only helps for a short period of time. And then the medicine that they give you to me has more side effects that make your symptoms worse than really helping you. Because I've heard a lot of people say, well, I have these suicidal thoughts or I have thoughts of wanting to kill somebody or I'm just 
very angry. Like I know people that have epilepsy beyond Kepra. And I've heard a lot of them say they just have this Kepra rage where they're just raging because of the medicine. And as soon as they get off, they're fine. And it's like, why when you know somebody is suffering a mental health issue, especially with your mind, why would you prescribe something that potentially makes it 10 times worse? And so I think that that's where America has failed a lot of people when it comes to mental health is just saying, okay, well, go talk to somebody and take this medication. Like, that's really that's what they want you to do. Like, go talk to somebody and take this medication and I'll see you, your psychiatrist. You only see them, what, every three months and they just change your medicine and then you see your counselor every week. I mean, I've come to realize that people that are counselors have their own issues. So they have their own everyday issues on top of taking your issues every day. So just imagine the baggage that they're carrying. So really, how is that helping me? You know what I'm saying? Like, how is that helping me? So I've just tried to figure out how to self-regulate my mental health and not use medication because medication never worked for me. And I'm not saying it doesn't work for everybody. So some people it works great for, but a lot of people it don't work. It makes it worse. So, you know, there, there we go. America just, they have to do better about understanding mental health and trying different ways instead of just therapy and talking to a counselor because a lot of that still doesn't help people there's a lot right. of kids. and a lot of the time it's, it's hard to get medication like a few months ago i was trying to get my medicine refilled and i had to see a, a mental health doctor or whatever to do so and they were so far out and they wouldn't prescribe me and i was i was telling them i'm like you know what's crazy is I could go and get an AR-15 right now and go shoot up a school quicker than I could get medication to help me. And that's a really sad and scary, you know, thought that, you know, it takes more to get medication than it does to get a gun that can easily kill 10, 15, 20, 30 people in less than a minute, which is just mind blowing to me. And I think we're probably one of the only countries where mental health is that bad because there's, you know, free healthcare in so many different countries where you need medication just go to the walk-in clinic or ER and they'll just prescribe it to you right then and there. But here it's like, you got to get on a waiting list and then you got to have your first appointment and be assessed and see if you qualify to take this medicine. When I've been taking it for years and they wanted to make sure that I was to, to be on it. Cause I recently moved and it's like, well, I've been on it for years. Why all of a sudden do I have to see somebody to get it filled? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then that translates into a lot of people ending up, in prison or jail because they're able to get medication. Like a lot of people don't have health care. So if you're out here in the world and you have health care, you can't get your medication. So therefore, a lot of people end up going to jail or prison. And so it's up to them to try to treat. And we know that you're not going to get any type of mental health. They might give you medicine, but you're not going to get any mental health. You know what I mean? Right. So it's just like a, a revolving door. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a sad and broken system. It is. It is. So my next question is, do you think a murderer's behavior is adapted or created character? I'd say it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, you know, going back to childhood, I feel I feel childhood is the biggest factor in one's life. I mean, because obviously, if you have a good, loving childhood, chances are you're going to grow up to be a good person. I mean, not, you know, all the time, per se, but if you have a bad childhood or environment around you, I mean, you're going to grow up like say you you grow up in poverty chances are you're probably going to live in poverty unless you can somehow make it out of poverty or you know going back to like if you're growing up around like, like gang banging and stuff chances are you're probably going to go down that same road or you know end up in prison or even worse dead or so i think i think it's a little bit of both to be honest with you and i think people are created or i guess i think murderers are created instead of born people say you know some people are born evil. You know, Hitler was born evil and Ted Bundy was born evil. But I don't know if I necessarily buy all that. I think they were molded and shaped into this evil, bad person more than just being born with like, I don't know, just genes to, to kill. I mean, because obviously you look at like Hitler and Ted Bundy, this and that, like their parents weren't serial killers or, you know, mass murderers, whatever. Whether it's something in their brain, obviously there's a lot of talk of you know, brain damage causing, you know, certain things in the head that make you not have like empathy or sympathy. And they argue that that can create like a psychopath or sociopath, or I guess ASPD is the word now. But yeah, I think it's a, a mixture of both. Yeah. And I mean, your environment has a lot to do with, you know, the chemical imbalance. A lot of it be chemical imbalance in your brain and just not having the right nutrition 
whether, you know, your parents didn't give you the right nutrition when you're pregnant or you're just not getting the right nutrition. A lot of that is a brain imbalance, chemical imbalance that causes a lot of these mental health disorders besides childhood trauma. Um, so, yeah, I don't think people are are born evil. I just think that it's a little bit of both. They're created and they're adaptive because you, let's let's say if you have a parent who molests you and who's out here just doing the most, you can adapt that behavior because you're mimicking what your parent is doing. And then you have some that are created because they're created from the environment that they're around. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it is a little bit of both. Do you feel as though those adapted or created behaviors can be reprogrammed to positive results? And do you think they deserve a second chance? If so, why? When it comes to the positive results aspect, I mean, there's been lifers and people on death row that have had their sentences reduced and been released into society that have been productive, you know, citizens. Like, for instance, I don't know how productive he is right now, but Tommy Cocorales, one of the four Chicago Rippers, was released a few years ago, and they supposedly killed, I don't know, like 10, 15 prostitutes, tortured them, cut their breasts off while they were alive and whatnot. And he's walking the streets now, and he had like a 60, 70, 80 something year sentence, something like that. And he's walking the streets now, and he's a, a free man. And I don't know how much he's changed or, or if he has or not, but like take somebody that was a, a juvenile, say 15, 16, 17 years old, that say killed somebody in cold blood or shot at the school or something like that. Your brain isn't fully developed until you're what, like 21, 23, something like well, that. Well, it depends. I know with women, it's a little earlier, but with men, their, their brain doesn't fully develop until they're in their thirties. Right. Right. So yeah, I, th- I think people can change, but I, it's up to the person to be honest. But at the same time, if you throw somebody, say, in a supermax or solitary confinement, 23-7 or 24-7, have a bathroom and shower in their cell, I mean, you can't really expect somebody to change in those conditions. I mean, it's it's almost like throwing a Rottweiler or a Pitbull in a cage all day long, feeding them, letting them piss and shit in the cage, and then expecting them to be friendly and loving when you take them out to play. You know, it's like, that's not how it works. You know, yeah. and, uh, when it comes to life sentences, I think. I don't know. I'm kind of torn. I think life sentences are good in the sense for people that can never be rehabilitated. Like, let's say Gary Ridgway, Ted Bundy, Sam Little, um, like the worst of the worst, you know, we're like, say you've killed like 30 something people. I, I think chances are there's little to no room for rehabilitation. But at the same time, I have an article pulled up um, a French serial killer, Charles Sobra. He was released on December 23rd, 2022. And I think he's suspected of killing like over a dozen people in Nepal and he was released. And a lot of countries, life sentences aren't really life sentences. They're like, say, 15, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years at the most. Like I talked to a serial killer, a self-proclaimed hitman in uh, Panama, and he's doing like a 46 year prison sentence, I believe, something like that for killing five people. And he'll be out one day. But if he was in America, he'd he'd either get the death penalty or you know life without Bye. parole. And I think, you know, life sentences are a deterrent for people to maybe commit violent crimes. But at the same time, if you're if you have that mind, mindset, you know, where say you're a psychopath or have ASPD, you're not going to care about prison or people's feelings or whatever. You're just going to do what you're going to do that feel good, whether it's like killing or raping or, you know, what have you. And so I'm kind of torn between life sentences, but I'm definitely opposed you know, against the death penalty 100 percent. But I feel that life sentences are necessarily in some cases, you know, for like again, Richard Ramirez, Sam Little, where it's just like, if you get out again, you're just going to go and rape and kill a woman or kill some kids. Like, yeah, you don't ever need to get out. I'm well, I'm not, well, I am torn. I feel like so the life sentence thing, I guess I feel like they should still be in a place where they're getting some type, whether it's working or not, I still feel like there should be some type of rehabilitation. Like, even though we know that they're not able to live amongst, you know, regular population, I still feel like instead of it being a prison with life sentences, I think that there still should be like a decent mental hospital to keep them in where they're still getting some type of rehabilitation. They're still, you know, treat it like a human in some sense, instead of just saying, okay, well, you're evil. There's no hope for you. We're just going to throw you in prison and treat you like whatever. I still think that there should be some type of rehabilitation because you never know. you like, you never know 
if you offer these people true rehabilitation, where it could really take them. Like there are some people who are just lost causes. Don't get me wrong. And there's no bringing them back. But I, I feel like if we try to at least give them some type of real rehabilitation, I feel like that there is some chance. Now, I'm not saying they need to be out here among us, <laughs> but I feel like they still should be somewhere where they're humanized and not dehumanized. And that's what. Right. I've always thought that like they should create a community of like a, a in like say a wall like 500 feet high or something like that. You know where they put, you know, convicted murderers, serial killers, or what have you like in this community where they all can mingle among among each other and you know it's like rapists and murderers and say say you have like a thousand year sentence just put them in this community or let them not serve in the military or anything like that but maybe do things that everyday people don't want to do but put them in a setting where i mean have like a tower with snipers or whatever to make sure they don't escape i know that there's communities of sex offenders like that you know where they're constantly watched and monitored and i think something like that could be successful but then again all it would take is just one person escaping and going on the killing spree whatever and then it would just ruin well hell why not put them in the military <laughs> you know right well you'd have to i mean you would have to make sure that they didn't have weapons or anything like let's say you take like a serial killer mass murderer all it takes is a few seconds for somebody to you know turn on your own camp like like robert bales or hassan akbar like it would be terrible if there were another situation like that that was to unfold. That is true. That is true. Would you say the most murderers slash killers are smart and intelligent? And would you say that trauma trauma to be the root cause of such influential behavior by adult murderers? Yeah, I think a lot of them are very smart and intelligent and conniving and manipulative. Some of them can be very manipulative and conniving. Um, and then, of course, you've got some that are just not so smart like what is it brian walsh this guy who was googling 12 different ways on how to dismember a body whatever like that's not very smart <laughs> at the end of the day but um and and you said what you said what, what was the second part of that question and the second part would you say that trauma to be the root cause of such influential behaviors by adult murderers yeah, I would say trauma mixed with mental health, mixed with, you know, drug and alcohol abuse, for sure. It just it just depends, really, I think. And I mean, if you if you ask certain people in prison, you know, that are convicted of murder, let's take serial killers, for instance. Those are like the, the worst of the worst offenders. Right. And chances are nine times out of 10, they'll tell you that they had a horrible childhood, which probably is true, because who wants to go rape and kill, you know, a bunch of women? or children, you know, for that matter. I mean, something had to have happened to them or you would think for them to do something so horrible and atrocious. And yeah, I'd say, I'd say trauma, drugs, and mental health would definitely play a part in like violent acts and adults and, and juveniles at that as well. I mean, you know, you got to habilitate somebody or I guess somebody that's younger, you got to habilitate them before they can be rehabilitated because it's just like sentencing when they used to sentence juveniles to death row, you know, how can you rehabilitate somebody if they haven't been habilitated, if they're so young, it's like rehabilitating somebody that never had a chance. And to me, that's like just throwing them to the wolves and just being like, oh, whatever, like you're a lost cause. We're not even going to attempt to try to help you or whatever. It's just like throw you in the cage, whatever, feed you three times a day, take you out the shower. And you can just, they're like bumps on the logs. It's, sad a lot of the time really especially with juvenile offenders my heart is more with juvenile offenders than adult offenders just because i've seen kids go down that path i've had family members that have been young mischievous you know like delinquents and you know just i don't know i, th I think it all starts with the juveniles and that's what i always hear from all these prisoners is you know you got to start with the juvenile justice system you got to make sure you're you're doing them right and treating them, you know, don't treat juveniles like adults and yada, 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 which in some cases, I mean, you would have to, like, for instance, say Nicholas Cruz, who killed, what, 20, 30 people at a school. I mean, but then, you know, at the same time, kids are kids and I don't feel like they should be, you know, putting a 16-year-old in a prison. Like, for instance, uh, Erica Hainstock, a transgender school shooter, was sent to prison, I think, when at the time he was 16 and he said the first day he got there, he got raped as soon as he got to prison. And he had to fight every single day, you know, until he turned like 18, 19, 20 years old. And 
it's just you know really sad and a lot of people don't care like oh you you killed somebody you killed a a principal at school like who cares what happens to you that's the mindset of a lot of these officers and administration people in prison they just don't care a lot of the time the rare handfuls that that do care that it's almost like good police officers if you if you speak up and try to do something chances are you're probably going to get you know chastised or lose your job or whatever and the politics involved i guess the, the politics, I think the politics has a lot to do with, well, not think, but it is. The politics has a lot to do with criminal justice. Instead of it being true criminal justice, it's based more around politics and who's tougher on crime and not about, well, let's really look into the, especially children. And I don't know if you know, but North Carolina, before we changed the law um, last year, we were able to convict six-year-olds, six-year-olds now. Six-year-olds were able to go to court and be convicted of a crime if they committed a crime. And we all know being six, your your brain is not even developed even a slight inch. So why they thought it was okay to allow children to be convicted at such a young age. And I was raised to 10, and I still think 10, it need, to me, it needs to be higher than that. Because especially when you're dealing with male and females, males brains do not develop until they're in their thirties. And that's, we have plenty of data and research on that to show that they don't develop fully until they're in their thirties. So when they're making decisions is basically a child decision. It's not an adult decision. And so America is so just dead set on throwing people away, no matter what age you are, gender, race, color, you commit a crime. That's what they're about. They're not about any rehabilitation or anything of that nature. And so I know it's a guy in North Carolina that shot another kid a few months ago. And so they're trying to give him the death penalty. But the reason why he shot the kid was because he was being bullied. Like he was literally shot by the kid a couple of months prior. And so he went to school and shot him because he thought they were going to take his life. And now he's facing the death penalty. So just really trying to understand what is really going on and America never wants to understand. They just look at it like you committed this crime and we just want to fill up these beds and the prisons and the jails. And sl- and really it's about sl- enslaving people to get free labor. That is really all it's about when it comes to prison and jails. It's not about deterring crime because if that was the case, our crime rates would have been low thousands of years ago. It has not, this has not given people life or Death sentences has not stopped serial killers. It has not stopped people from committing crimes. It has not stopped people from selling drugs. We need to begin to look at what really will stop these things from happening, not just throwing people away because that's not working. It hasn't worked for 400 years now. You know what I mean? So what is it that we could do to stop what's going on? And when you look at other countries, like over there in Germany, I mean, even though people commit crimes, they still treat them like they're humans. They still have regular rooms. You know what I'm saying? And so and they have them more family oriented to where they're with their families, even though they're incarcerated. So America has to do better about a lot of things like and they just want to instead of them taking blame for what they've created, they just want to put it all on the people that are getting in trouble. And so America really needs to stop, step back and look to see, are they really contributing to the things that people are doing or are people really just born evil? You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, and people are so brainwashed by media and and just everything really with this person's evil or this was an evil act or you know when when really I mean yes I mean there are there are acts that can be evil but I don't necessarily think that makes somebody an evil person and I mean you've got to look at where they come from their background their environment their childhood and it's not excusing what people do, but there's reasons as to what people, why people do what they do. I mean, you know, like you're abused as a child. That's all, you know, either going to end up having a lot of trauma as an adult or possibly, you know, abusing other children. I mean, it's just like a never ending cycle, really. And let's say for like, you mentioned one of the serial killers that killed a bunch of prostitutes and that could have been just what he was taught because, you know, I know when I was younger, I was taught that you're not supposed to go out there selling your body. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that his parents taught him that that was a sin, not to be out there selling your body. And, so, and I've heard a lot of serial killers say that they've killed women like that because they were doing sinful things, which is selling your body is a sin. So they thought it from a, a religious perspective, not I'm um, killing this person and it's wrong. They were looking at it from their religion perspective. And 
thinking, okay, well, this is wrong. They shouldn't be out here selling their bodies. You know what I mean? It's like, where do you go from that? Like, if your parents are teaching you, hey, that's wrong. You don't need to be out there selling your body, and that's what you grow up on, and you see it, and you're like, I got to get rid of that because that's that's harming my community. I've heard them say that's harming my community. Right, you know what I right. Mean? I killed this person because they were out here selling their body in front of the kids. This is harming my community. This is why I took this person out. And so it's all about what you're also taught as well. Right. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, especially as a, as a child, you're so impressionable by your parents and peers and and everybody. Like everybody always wants to fit in and be the, the cool kid at school or whatever. And then when you grow up into adulthood, you also want to be accepted by your peers and you want to fit in. And, you know, like like you said, if you're taught you know prostitution is bad or gross or whatever i mean i've talked to so many serial killers that have said they wanted to rid the streets of evil which you know was prostitutes and drug addicts and so on and so forth so they're thinking they're doing a good deed by getting rid of the evil but then you know the states turn around like well you're evil because you did this heinous crime to this person and if you think about it even america is showing that because you see so many people that get locked up for selling for you know prostitution or sex so to me they're saying okay it's okay for you to go kill these people because we're locking them up right you know what i mean what's the difference between you locking them up and them saying well i need to get rid of them so let's let me just wipe them off the face of the earth it's, it's no different but america doesn't look at it like that right yeah sadly sadly i think america is one of the only countries that has the like mass incarcerate mass incarceration problem that we have i mean like life sentences, I know there's life sentences in different in other countries, but there's they don't really hand them out as much as America does. I mean, you can get a life sentence for trafficking cocaine or you know something like that, and I mean, you can you can rape a child, get out, do it again, get out, do it again, and I mean, thank thank God for the three strikes law, but even then, I mean, when I mean, you, yeah, can you rape can... three kids till you go to prison for life, like you can ruin three lives before you have to go to prison for life. You know, or either you can steal three times and still get a life sentence because you stole three different times and that's right. an habitual felony. You see what I'm saying? So you can you can get long sentences for really things that are, are minute. And some things aren't, but some things are minute that you can get a life sentence for in, in America. But that's because America bases their production off of body autonomy and free slave labor. <laughs> like that's that's the reason why, because other other countries don't depend on body autonomy to make their income and America does. So my last question, would you say anybody can be a murderer or adapt the behavior? If yes, why do you suspect they don't give violent offenders second chances, but rather let a child molester or a rapist free than a person that kills someone in defense or et cetera? Honestly, there's different inmates that always tell me that everybody has murder capable inside them. And and again, Otto Smith, he was he was telling me that there's a difference between killing somebody and murdering somebody. And of course, there's those instances of like self-defense or what have you, which I wouldn't really lump in that category. But I guess anybody could really become a murderer. I mean, if you think about it, there's people that lose their cool and everything all the time, like they're a doctor or lawyer or even a football player. Philip Adams used to play for the Seahawks, and one day he just committed a mass murder then killed himself i believe or the police killed him i mean i think it's you could be the the most perfect person i think and you can just have all these little triggers set you off and somebody cuts you off in traffic or something you follow them then pop them in the head then you're gone for life i mean i i mean i'm no expert by any means but i think that anybody is capable of murder if they're pushed to the edge or if they're if just the the worst of the worst circumstances Stances happen. Say you lose your wife, you lose your job, you lose your kids, you like your car gets repossessed, you literally lose everything overnight. I, I think that would trigger anybody into not necessarily killing somebody, but but being very, you know, on the edge and violent. And anybody says something to you that's like out of pocket, you just snap on them, you know. And I think it everybody has it in them to to possibly kill somebody. Like if you're pushed to the it's not necessarily saying if you lose all that, you're going to end up killing somebody because some people's self-control is way better than others. Like I know if that ever happened to me and I lost everything, I know I have people to talk to and to where I'm not ever going to kill somebody or take my own life. You know, I know like I have a purpose and I certainly don't want to throw my life away over anything, whether that be small or big. Right. 
So the second um, part of the question is, if it says, why do you suspect that they don't give violent offenders second chances, but rather let a child molest or a rapist free than a person that kills someone? Well, I think I think it's the stigma, to be honest. You know, you you killed somebody. If you get out, you're going to do it again. You've been in prison for so long. You're probably institutionalized. You know, it's just the uh, I guess you could say like the common myths and and superstitions of prison. You know, like you've been in prison for 25 years. You know, you're probably an animal. You get out, you're going to probably reoffend and go back to prison. And I don't I don't understand why they give. Well, I understand on the, the sentences, like say a child molester, or a child rapist, say you get 10 years in prison. I understand you can't keep them for life. But at the same time, is it really fair to parole somebody that, say, brutally raped a child earlier than, say, somebody that just robbed and killed somebody? It's it's almost like comparing, I mean, I'm not saying apples to oranges, of course, because I'm not saying raping a child is the same as killing like an adult or whatever. But I've never understood why you can get five years for molesting, you know, five kids, but then life without parole for, say, robbing a store or whatever, then it goes wrong and you kill somebody. Obviously, that's a horrible thing and somebody lost their life at the end of the day. But I think, and, and of course, there's extenuating circumstances in some cases, like say you're like a felon or gang related or whatever that enhances your charges and enhances your sentences and so on and so forth. But yeah, I guess I guess it's just that the million dollar question is why can you continually go out and, and rape or or harm others, but a homicide carries a life sentence or death sentence, and and I get I guess it just depends really at the end of the day how it was committed and so on and so forth because there's some, I mean, uh, there was a police officer just killed in some state I think it was with like a vehicle or something and the woman got like eight years in prison or something like that. And you would think she'd get the death penalty or life without parole, especially involving a public official. But it just, yeah, I guess it, it just it is really weird and, and strange. And I think we're one of the only countries that are quick to hand out death sentences and life sentences. And for instance, a, a RICO charge can get you a life sentence and conspiracy can get you life. Even if you're just, even if you're not a part of a gang or whatever, you, you can just happen to be walking in the wrong neighborhood with wearing all red or all blue and just happened to get picked up and right felony murder is the same way like you could just be with somebody and they commit the murder and you not know and then you're you're convicted just as long as they are so yeah i mean i've never understood that either because i've known several people that's gotten out that were sex offenders that reoffended once they got out and to me it's no different because if you're still not rehabilitating that person rehabilitation needs to be started asap if you are molesting children because I feel like that there's something in your brain that's causing your sex drive to be way higher than what it's supposed to be. And so I don't think that just letting somebody who was molested or raped somebody right back out on the streets eight, nine, ten years later with no rehabilitation is any better than letting somebody out that murdered somebody. Because you got people that's murdered people before that's got out and they've lived a perfect life after. It was just that one mistake. And then you have some who... That's just what they, that's just their drive and their thrill. So I think that there needs to be a tougher sentence because, I mean, honestly, if you're raping a child, you're taking that child's life from them. So right. to me, yeah, most definitely. You're, 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 make, you're killing them technically. You know what I'm saying? You're killing them on the inside because they don't know who they are anymore. And so I, I don't see, I don't see a difference between murdering somebody, taking somebody's life, than you molesting or raping a child or a female because that is traumatized. That's, just as much trauma as it is killing somebody or losing a loved one to death. So I think that there should be just as much stipulations for somebody that raped or molested somebody than it's just as somebody that killed somebody. It right. Be. Yeah, most definitely. I, I, I've always thought that you shouldn't get three strikes when it comes to raping or molesting. I think it should just be, you know, <laughs> you, you offend more than one time you're done because I mean, how many kids do you have to rape in order to, go to prison for life, you know, like it's uh, like, for instance, there's a guy that I interviewed who used to be on death row in Indiana. He molested like 20 something kids and he killed a kid and did horrible things to his body afterwards, like ejaculated on him and everything. And he's doing life without parole now. But, you know, why did it take molesting 20 something kids and then killing a kid to go to death row, you know, or or, or get life in prison? Like what was his like, motivating factor? 
he was abused when he was younger and he claims that he just never got over the trauma and everything, which, you know, it's, 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 you can sympathize and empathize somewhat, but at the same time with child molesters and, and rapists and stuff, it's hard for me to empathize with them, even if they were abused when they were younger. I mean, I can empathize with the abuse, but I can't empathize with, I was abused and then I just wanted to abuse others because that's all I knew. Like, Especially other you know, children. Like, I understand you were abused as a child, but what does you raping and abusing and killing other children and doing some very heinous things to a body after its death have to do with being beat as a child. You know what I mean? It's like you want to protect right. the child that you were abused. You know what I'm saying? Like the inner child then to go and commit a cr- crimes against children because that don't make sense. Right. Yeah. Commit Crimes against kids will never make sense to me. I mean, I, nobody can ever justify raping or molesting or killing a kid. Like it's just, I don't know. And the, the people that do try to justify it is just like, you're just sick. Yeah. Because they are, because it's, there's no justifying raping or killing a child. I don't care how much trauma you've been through. There's a lot of people that have been through a lot of trauma and they don't do that. Like they might kill right. other humans and other adults, but they don't touch children. Like if anything, they protect the child because they know that they're vulnerable. But then maybe again, that is what some serial they like people that are vulnerable where they can control. And right, yeah, most definitely. Kids, I've heard that from a lot of offenders that children and women are easy to control and manipulate and they won't talk they won't try to escape because i can overpower them or you know whatever i mean it's about an easy victim pool really it's about the vulnerability of it and so that's that's why there needs to be a lot of mental health because yeah most definitely you know like just hearing stuff like that is just it's crazy you know to hear somebody say oh well i committed crimes against children because i was molested but it's way deeper than that so really trying to understand what is causing these kind of behaviors from certain people, I think is really important. Um, and I think that we need to do a lot of more research on that to see how we can fix that because it can be fixed. I don't, I don't feel like anybody, and maybe I could be wrong, but I mean, I don't feel like anybody cannot just be rehabilitated. Like, I feel like if you get down to the root cause and really give them some deep healing that they've always wanted, I feel like that could heal a lot of stuff. Right. Right. I think in the sense of like sex offenders and like child rapists and molesters, I feel like if anybody couldn't be rehabilitated, it'd probably be a good percentage of them because I've I've talked to a lot of sex offenders and pedophiles and they're like, they know it's wrong. They know they shouldn't do it, but they have like a compulsion to do it, to have sex with an underage boy or underage girl. It's just what they're attracted to and what their preference is. And, you know, it's just... I don't know if that could be rehabilitated or not, but I'm sure with enough extensive like therapy and nonstop therapy, like five days a week and not once every two weeks, you know, like like they like to do in prison or, you know, just pick and choose who gets therapy and who doesn't. I mean, mental health is not only a joke in the free world, but in, in prison, especially depending on your crimes. I mean, you're judged in prison. Like, so you, you raped I don't know, five kids or so, chances are you're probably not going to be at the top of the list for mental health treatment. And they even the mental health professionals judge prisoners too based off their crimes, which is mind blowing to me. Like what do you I mean, since you get in that field to help people? Right. And then you're here judging people. Yeah, I've I've heard that a lot, that they they do a lot of judging. And I know in our prisons here, like the only mental health you get is if you're in the whole and then they come around and be like, hey, do you want to kill yourself? And you, you say no, they keep walking. Yep, and then if you yep. want to kill yourself, they just put you in a straitjacket in a right room. Like, that doesn't make it better at all. You know what I mean? It makes it worse. So, yeah, mental health in America is a joke. And I think until we really understand and do a better job, I don't think that. I think this will continue to happen all over America. Yeah. Yeah. Until something, I think something so bad has to happen. For there to be a change, but there's so many bad things that have happened, like Stephen Paddock, the Las Vegas shooting, Sandy Hook, Parkland, and there's, I mean, it's just like, how many more mass murders have to happen in order for you guys to do something? Like, I mean, there was even politicians that were shot during a baseball game years ago during a mass shooting, if I'm not mistaken, and I thought something was going to happen after then, after politicians politicians got shot up, but I mean dead kids don't seem to motivate anybody to want to 
change laws or I'm not talking about gun control or anything. I'm talking more like mental health wise and, you know, just like how many more people have to die, I guess, in the name of mental health or the lack of mental health, really. You can you can be the the most unhinged schizophrenic and not get any treatment out here on the streets. But the moment you commit your crime, you're getting the best mental health treatment in the United States up until you get to prison. You know, you get all these diagnoses and you know, all these uh you're being treated and evaluated while you're on trial. And, you know, you got people that worked with like Charles Manson and Ted Bundy and David Berkowitz and all these high profile murderers that have come before you you get the same treatment that they did but then as soon as you get to prison it's like oh your life is over with screw you screw you yeah you get you get what you deserve and you're gonna suffer and yeah that's yeah that's what we we tend to do and i think that's why we just see so many so many murders and it's sad i hope eventually we get a hang on the mental health and understand that it's it's really important um to start giving people the right proper mental health because, like, even the mental health hospitals can feel like jails at times. Um, you know, I've experienced that. It can feel like a jail. So, to me, that's not helping your mental state at all. But anyway, Andrew, I appreciate the interview. Will you let our, our audience know where they can find your podcast? And if there's anything else you want to leave with the audience? Yeah, so Unforbidden Truth is on all podcast platforms. YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, etc., etc. Um, And thank you for having me on. It's been a been a pleasure and you know I'm sure we can do more in the future and yeah thank you again for having me on. Thank you. I appreciate it and thank you just for coming on and sharing your experience. I think that this opens up the light for our viewers even more to kind of understand people who have committed murders since you know you do actually interview people who have committed heinous murders just opening up that side of the lens to understand and kind of give us the insight into their minds also helps our viewers to understand and kind of maybe empathize and understand that it's a mental health problem in America. So thank you for sharing all of those wonderful stories. Um, and y'all check him out, Unforbidden Truth, and he's on ever, every major streaming platform. And thank you again, Andrew. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. So thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Your host, Sierra Cobb. Take care.